Hey, everybody. Welcome back to D3 Glory Days on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. We're back again with another episode for you today, and it kicks off our cross-country season coverage. That's right. It's August. That's right. It's August, and the season is coming fast, and we're getting ready for it. We'll have some regional previews coming up, some more episodes regarding distance running and cross-country. So today we get things started with Dave Muller out of University of Rochester. But before I introduce Dave, a few housekeeping items. As always, thank you for the support. We really appreciate it. If you want to go above and beyond, tell a friend about D3 Glory Days. Have them subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You, yourself, leave a review if you can. That helps us spread the word. And make sure you're following us on social media. We'll have a lot going on this season and you won't want to miss it. We recently put up a post on Instagram opening up a collaboration with you. If you have a story idea, a social media post idea, anything, we want to hear from you and work with you. So check out the website. It's on the about section under athlete stories. Hopefully we can bring more content to the D3 running community. Today's guest, as I mentioned, is Dr. Dave Muller from University of Rochester. The 1975 grad is potentially the only runner to be an All-American in cross country in all three divisions. That's right. He was a D1, D2, and D3 All-American, all without leaving the University of Rochester. When he came to Rochester, they were a D2 school. So in the fall, he ran cross country, was an All-American. They transitioned to D3 mid-year. And so after that, he won. He won the three-mile at D3 Outdoor Nationals. The next season, he won D3 cross country, which earned him a spot at the D1 national meet where he finished 19th. But before those two races, he won the IC4A meet. And after those races, he finished 22nd at the AAU championships that included Frank Shorter. Dave's career at University of Rochester had a lot of success and he overcame not being a confident runner. And he goes into how he was able to manage that great advice for all you runners out there. He had a very strong worth ethic that pushed him to be great during his time and ran a ton of mileage. And you'll learn more about that. It's a great episode. brings a lot of perspective and we know you'll enjoy it. More cross country coverage on the way. Stay tuned until then. Here's the glory days. All right. Welcome back to D3 Glory Days. We're taking a step back from the current day action and bringing you a three-time All-American across Division One, Division Two, and Division Three. We're joined by Dr. Dave Muller of University of Rochester, a 1975 grad. Dave, welcome to D3 Glory Days. Yes, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. And as I said, thank you for your interest. Um, I, I did get four All-America uh, awards in there. Um, but We're blowing well, it out. We're blowing uh, it out. I'm not trying to sell you short. <laughs> I was just saying you were a three-time All-American across all three divisions, oh, or three uh, different All-Americans in different divisions. Uh, that is right. That That is right. <laughs> and it's, it's hard to remember the back that far sometimes. Well, we're excited to kind of hear more about it and go into all four of your All-American performances. But, you know, going through some of the research here, kind of learning about you, you seem to be attracted to Rochester, given the academic side of things. And you received a scholarship that helped you along the way and get there. You know, was running kind of secondary to you in your college journey? I guess so. I mean, I was I was pretty good in high school, but um, and in fact, I was uh, recruited to some other colleges as well in terms of uh, track cross country. But I wouldn't say that was my uh, major priority. I think my major priority was the 
go to a good school and the fact that uh, Rochester gave me a scholarship and when I went uh, and visited the, the campus, I really uh, got a great feel with both the people and the place. And so it was, it was pretty easy, but I, I think, um, yeah, the scholarship was made it easy uh, at the end of the day. And, and that was a, a primary you know, reason for, for going to uh, University of Rochester. Can you give us an idea of, you know, the level of athlete you were coming out of high school, kind of what some of your personal bests were and kind of what level you were training at too? I think a lot of division three athletes come out of high school undertrained heading into college. Can you give us an idea of, of your background? Yeah. So I, um, um, I went to a prep school. Um, it was, uh, we had just moved, um, to New England and we competed in class B. We did have indoor track. Well, actually it was an outside uh, winter track, which we ran around. And, uh, you know, I, there weren't a whole lot of options. I mean, there wasn't uh, soccer, there wasn't lacrosse. And so I got into uh, running and ran year round, uh, basically. Um, Did pretty well. I mean, in some of the class B uh, championships, I, I think I came second or third. Uh, and there was good competition in Massachusetts. You know, I was not being recruited by D1 schools for my uh, track uh, abilities. Uh, but, you know, I was uh, a full-fledged uh, uh, runner uh, during my, my high school career. And uh, certainly, it, I exceeded expectations, I think, from what I was as a runner um, out of high school. 1973 was the first year Division Three became the Division Three that we know of it today. You came into college before then. Was there any sort of like mindset or attraction to not going? Or I guess, was there attractions to going to schools outside Division Three because it wasn't really given a, an official name yet? To be honest, I had no awareness of, of those kind of issues. In, in fact, my first year at Rochester, it was the first year that the cross-country team uh, went from a club to a full-fledged sport. Uh, so they were making, a, a, I think, a transition uh, during that period of time. But quite honestly, I just wasn't aware of, uh, of any of that or really cared. Uh, it, it was... I started uh, running from, you know, the time I got to Rochester and there was a great group of people. Um, and it took me a couple of years perhaps to uh, reach a different level, uh, but it was just a whole lot of fun. And, and uh, you know, things like D2, D3, it just um, wasn't uh, in my mindset uh, that I remember. So your first year of cross country was the first year of cross country at Rochester as an official sport? I think so. Or maybe it was the year before, but I think some of the seniors on the team, the, the leaders uh, at University of Rochester, they started out as a club. But there were some really good runners, uh, including Dave Milliman, who you might have heard of. Jeff Milliman, uh, his brother, won a D3 cross-country championship a few years after me. I'm not sure, again, uh, the, the politics, but they ended up being good. And when, you know, they could compete against other uh, upstate New York teams. And so uh, by the time I got there, it was a full-fledged uh, uh, sport. Did the club have a coach or was the coach new as well when you arrived? Well, my first coach uh, at Rochester was uh, Coach Jan Hunsinger, and he basically was an assistant football coach. Uh, he did track and field. He was, a, you know, a offensive lineman type of guy. Uh, but for whatever reason, he took over kind of leadership, uh, a coach of the cross country. And he, uh, after football season, he would become the track and field coach. So uh, he kind of assumed coach formally uh, uh, as cross country coach. And he was a great guy. He left uh, to become head coach at Colgate um, my uh, end of my sophomore year, I think it was, or maybe in the beginning of my sophomore year. And that's when coach Tim Hale came uh, to the University uh, of Rochester. 
Did you notice any kind of shifts in mindset amongst the team when that transition from club to a full-fledged varsity sport was happening? Uh, I, I don't know because I wasn't there for the club, but it, there was a group of, um, of guys, students that were really committed to running. They trained hard. And I think, uh, so the mentality, my guess is they probably did have a chip on their shoulder when it was a club and they went to compete with full-fledged teams from, from other upstate New York sports, but they carried over that chip, I think, when it became a, a full-fledged uh, a sport. Yeah, I guess the better question would have been, did you, like, what was the team culture like when you got in because of that transition from club to varsity? I never experienced it as a, as a club. And I think uh, the kind of camaraderie, the kind of training, the kind of support, you know, you, you want to have in a team was, was there when I uh, arrived as a freshman, you know, they watched out for us freshmen and, um, and uh, you know, really helped us out uh, with the transition from high school to, to college. And they were, you know, good role models. They, uh, they trained hard and they certainly deserve to lead Rochester cross country as a sport. What were some of the lessons you learned from those guys in your early year or year or two that proved kind of foundational for your success later on in your college career? Well, they were, again, they were the group of guys really, uh, they trained hard. And quite honestly, my freshman year, I was uh, having too much fun first time in college, you know, to, I'm not sure I trained as seriously as some of the uh, upperclassmen, and I certainly nothing like um, I started to train probably uh, sometime a sophomore year. Uh, so I was having too much fun basically to take it as seriously as, as uh, I probably should have. But, you know, we still, I still trained hard. It was just trying to mix up the experience college first time you know new courses uh time i spent running um as a freshman was was a lot less than it was later uh as the years progressed yeah what was like the nuts and bolts of the training how many miles a week do you remember how much you were running during that time not as a freshman i i think uh, and then my sophomore year um I surprised a lot of people, including myself. Uh, I won the uh, New York State uh, Association uh, Cross Country Championship. And that was a little unexpected. Um, I mentioned Dave Milliman was one of those who was expected to, to win. He came in third. And uh, again, I'm not sure if that uh, an impetus to, to really get better. Um, and then sometime in my maybe later on, I started running uh, twice a day. That, that was really when I uh, made a, a, a jump. And initially it was like four to five miles in the morning and uh, easy. And then I would do the normal track or, or cross country uh, run that was planned uh, for the team. When I got better, I started going crazy and I would run, you know, at least seven to 10 miles in the morning and pretty good quality as well. And then do uh, the, the planned workout uh, in the afternoon. And sometimes I would, you know, extend that as well in terms of some training runs. So, but I think uh, um, I didn't do it as a freshman, uh, but I think uh, maybe at uh, coach Tim Hale's suggestion of trying to run twice a day really made an impact and started me on um, uh, a, a higher trajectory. So nowadays training information is kind of everywhere. Like high school kids can find endless resources online, on YouTube, on podcasts. What, what kind of training information were, were you consuming? What were your sources of information or did you even care? Well, uh, sure. I, I, I cared. And the, at the time, the philosophy, uh, or at least um, when I became very serious, was to just run as hard and as far as you can. There was no limitation at all. It was, and the runners, the, the best marathoners in the world, they were running, you know, 140 miles a week, and there was really no, no limit uh, to what was, um, uh, you know, a a training 
strategy. And, you know, clearly that didn't work for me when I went a little crazy on doing some of the training and getting injured. But at the time, I don't remember, you know, there, there was not much out there, quite honestly. And you really depended, quite honestly, on, on the coaches to formulate you know, plans, how many times do you do intervals? How, when do you do your long distance run? How do you peak uh, at the end of the season? And I think, you know, coach Tim Hale just did a fantastic job in, in having us peak at the end of the season when it, when it mattered. I just depended on the coach, quite honestly, and then just up the intensity um, as much as I could, uh, started, you know, twice a day, which really made a difference and just followed the, the team plan. Did you have any teammates going with you on those crazy double days that, that those seven and 10 mile days that you mentioned? No, that was as a junior uh, and, you know, starting as a sophomore and I, everybody's class schedule and getting up in the morning was tough. So I would usually do those runs on my own it was great running with the team. Uh, my uh, senior year, though, I was pretty much at that time for the distance runs and the training, I, I was also running by myself. What kind of toll did that take on you? I mean, do you, were you getting back to your apartment at the end of every day of running as far and as hard as you could, just totally exhausted? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, that would be it. Yeah, it was, uh, except for some, not rest days, but uh, taking it uh, easy a day uh, before a meet, uh, maybe two days before a champion uh, chip meet. Yeah, I'd come back uh, pretty exhausted. We usually got late to the uh, dining center and had some uh, liquid replenishment in the evening, oftentimes. Uh, the drinking age was 18, and uh, beer was a good way to kind of recover some it's carbs. The, it, yeah. It's carbs and it's liquid. So it, it, it worked. I saw that you were a double major as well. How are you balancing, you know, not only the running workload, but your school workload as well? Early on, I, I, you know, I did the usual, you know, student stuff. Um, uh, the math and the statistics, <clears throat> uh, they would usually involve uh, problem sets. And so you could do them throughout the semester in real time. My senior teammates uh, uh, offered the advice of taking the, the large classes, the pre-med classes uh, off the semester, uh, wait a semester uh, to make it easier with small classes in a less cutthroat environment. And, and early on, I think that really helped. Basically, I was a, I was a good crammer at the end of the semester. I'd put it, you know, a couple of weeks of cramming and I, I do the semester, you know, so I was always very good at that. And I think that's the only reason, uh, you know, I, I survived and, and did pretty well uh, scholastically as well. You mentioned earlier kind of winning that New York meet, uh, New York State meet kind of unexpectedly. You know, having that unexpected success, getting a taste of winning, how did that change your approach to training and racing after that? Yeah, I think it did for sure. And, you know, I always loved to run. So uh, it, it was not an effort for me to go out and run. Um, competing, uh, you know, I had some success, but uh, not, you know, great success. But I think this did show me that, um, you know, I could compete um, at a higher level than um, I, I guess uh, was anticipated. And it was some maturity as an athlete, uh, just a few more years of running, which made a, a difference. And I think led to a higher level of performance. And then, yeah, I got really excited about competing uh, and, and competing at a higher level. Yeah, in that 1973 Division II meet, you finished 10th, and we were looking through some research prior. That was the first time that was a D2 cross-country meet as well. I guess it was officially deemed that. The year prior, it was the national, what was it called? It was the national NCAA cross-country championships. So like literally all the teams were combined. What do you remember about that race? Looks like you all finished in the top 50 because there are 59 teams. 
I don't remember a lot, quite honestly. Um, it was uh, uh, my first uh, D2 championship uh, run. And I think I was in pretty good shape, um, but not at the level I, I achieved later on. Uh, and I, you know, thought um, D10 uh, or finishing 10th uh, got earned me All-America um, honors. So I don't really remember a, a lot. I, I didn't expect to win. And I think finishing in the top 10 was a pretty good result, I thought, at the time. But I also uh, felt I, I definitely could improve as a runner. And, and I wanted to do that. Did winning motivate you or was it just the process of improving as an individual? Yeah, I think it was the latter, quite honestly, because um, 10th doesn't win. 10th uh, is 10th. And so uh, getting an All-America recognition was certainly what led to some publicity. And that was important. But I think 10th is 10th. And I think it really, um, I became just... Uh, super involved in the process uh, as much as anything else. Yeah, that 1973 fall, your Rochester was Division Two. Flash forward a few months later, Rochester is now Division Three, and you're competing at the Division Three Outdoor National Championships, which is, I don't think could happen nowadays. What was, I guess, the expectations from moving from D2 to D3? Right now, I think people see D2 maybe higher than Division Three. Did you kind of look down on the division you all were headed into? Well, I didn't. I, I wasn't of that mindset. Um, Coach Hale, uh, I, I always thought there were, in both D2 and D3, there were some really high-quality runners. There were some high-quality teams. I didn't think there was any difference, quite honestly, or I didn't approach that uh, any differently. And at that time, uh, I was getting in pretty good shape uh, for the D3 uh, Outdoor Championship. Um, my first love has always been cross country, but uh, I started to develop as a, you know, a runner around an oval. Um, and, uh, but I wasn't thinking really anything about the difference between D2 and D3. I thought there would be some very good individual competitors uh, uh, regardless. That 10th place finish in All-American Award gives you a little notoriety. You mentioned like 10th is 10th, but it did come with a little bit of publicity in an All-America Award. How did your status within your own team change? Were you take, starting to take on more of a leadership role? Yeah, I think for sure, uh, because that was the highest finish. And uh, I, as I recall, you know, that was the first All-America spot, um, certainly in cross country that Rochester had. So uh, yeah, um, I was getting pretty good. Uh, and I certainly, in terms of leadership, uh, we had some really good teams, some good runners. And so, yes, I, I think uh, I enjoyed that uh, transition a good deal. And it, it did motivate me. Um, to, like I said, I, I started training more uh, uh, twice a day. And I think that led to some successes uh, a, a few months later. Yeah, you end up winning your first D3 outdoor meet, running the, the three-mile race in 1354. Did that give you just a bunch of confidence then heading into that following cross-country season? I mean, you are mentioned that you're building momentum, building momentum, and you get this national title. That race really wasn't uh, that difficult. Um, I, was, I always get super psyched before a race, and I also uh, am not a good kicker. So I, I don't have the speed that a lot of people do, you know, to, so I couldn't wait till the end of the race uh, and have someone outkick me. Uh, so for that race, uh, I just halfway through just took off on my own and I put some distance uh, between me. And although I remember putting in, uh, you know, a maximum effort, um, I don't uh, I wasn't challenged and there was no, you know, um, uh, point when, you know, it was do or die. Uh, it, it just happened. Uh, 
and uh, it was nice. It was a nice feeling, but I don't recall um, that it wasn't a particularly difficult championship. Yeah. What was it like never racing these D3 guys before? Like, I'm sure you don't know any of their tactics, any of their racing style. Did you find that as a challenge? Well, again, I wasn't, wasn't thinking that I, I as I recall, uh, uh, coach Hale would give me some names of individual runners who, um, may, um, may be in the running to, to win. <clears throat> and I'd look for their uniforms and I didn't know any uh, of the competitors uh, by themselves. So I would consider uh, if I saw somebody, you know, from Colgate or someone that uh, Coach Hale said would be a, a, a potential uh, winner that I would certainly look out for them. But I, again, I, D3 distinction did not really mean anything. Uh, you're still running against individual competitors. And I knew there were some very good runners uh, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the events uh, in D3. So that was not my mentality. Was there a six mile race at those championships as well? Oh, I think, uh, I think so. I'm kind of wondering why you wouldn't have run that. Oh, that's a question i don't think i was yet developed enough as a runner to handle six miles and i had enough speed to be competitive in a three mile um i ran one five thousand meter in my career but i think also uh, uh coach hale perhaps looking forward that it was more important at at the level i was at to develop speed uh, and develop uh, the pace needed. Uh, so then I could move up to a 10,000. I mean, that was always kind of in, in, in the background because again, I didn't have a blazing kick, but it, um, you know, if you're going to be um, at the highest level in terms of competition, you've got to be able to run a fast a three mile to run a fast six mile. And so I think that was in part uh, the reason, but I, I don't recall ever actually running uh, either a six mile or, um, or a 10,000 meter. Uh, we had some good runners who, who did do that. So maybe that was part of the choice, but I always um, thought it was to develop um, my running capabilities at a shorter level with the eventual uh, planned, uh, to move up when I became, uh, more developed as a runner. Yeah. Moving to that cross country season now in, in 1974, you had a, a massive season and we'll get to it, but what was that summer of training? Like after winning, you know, a, a D three, three mile race, how are you feeling going into that summer? Yeah, no, I was pretty pumped. Uh, and, and I did a lot of summer training. Um, I forget where I was that summer. Um, I think I even stayed at Rochester and, uh, well, maybe not, uh, but no, I put in, um, some heavy mileage, uh, as a basis for, uh, a foundation for starting the season. Although, uh, again, the intervals, um, would get shorter and shorter as the season progressed. Uh, I basically, I did a lot of just distance uh, running during the summer uh, to, to form a foundation for, for uh, running in the fall. Heading into that cross country season, were you one to really like form concrete goals? You know, did you have national championship up on your mirror or were you just kind of waiting to see how things developed before you really made you know, hard projections. Yeah, I wasn't thinking a whole lot of deep thoughts back then, I don't think. <laughs> um, I, you know, uh, um, I remember early in the season, uh, again, uh, um, Coach Hale would really try to have us peak at the end. And I remember getting beat by some people in early, you know, uh, invitationals. I, I wouldn't win, I'd come in, you know, 
third or fourth or something like that. And but I thought I could beat them if uh, at the end of the season, which which I did. But I wasn't. No, I didn't have any plans, and I certainly. Uh, well, I, I guess I did. I, I think, um, given my um, uh, success at outdoors, yeah, I certainly had on my agenda to compete uh, for winning uh, the cross-country championship. I can't say I had an expectation of doing some of the races I did after the D3 championship. Did your team see any like special or a memorable season, given that this was your first ever D3 cross country season as a team? Yeah, again, I, we weren't focused on what division we were in, um, at least I, not that I recall. Uh, and there was no expectation, I think, on my part or, or my teammates that D3 was a, a lesser division. Uh, there were some good teams and there were some really good individual competitors. So it was game on um, uh, uh, whether D3 or D2. In, in fact, D2 was probably too early to, uh, to get in that frame of mind. So the D3, we definitely thought we had a good a really good team and wanted to compete um, as both a, a team and I wanted to com uh, compete to win uh, that race. Were you aware of the rule that would allow you to go to the division one championship and compete if you won the division three championship? Oh, I'm going to say no. Um, <laughs> I don't really recall. And that's a story in and in and of itself, uh, the D one, which, um, uh, left uh, several lasting memories. I'm not sure I was uh, aware of that. Um, certainly that loophole closed uh, down the road and it was kind of an interesting process in, in, in retrospect. Again, wasn't, uh, that wasn't in my, uh, on my radar screen, uh, I think at the time. So before we get into that, those, you know, memories of the D1 championship, let's go into a little bit more of how that division three championship race played out, um, you know, doing a little bit of research. It seems like you kind of made a move to break away from the pack with a couple miles to go. What do you remember from that race? Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. It, it, the course reminded me of uh, Genesee Valley Park, which uh, my wife and I just walked this weekend for the reunion. And it's a flat, basically flat, open next to the Genesee. And I just remember <clears throat> this golf course that was pretty flat. It was a little muddy. It was a little drizzly. Um, but I was in good shape. And again, I wasn't in the mood to get beaten by someone out kicking me in the last 100 yards and I just didn't wait so three three and a half miles I just took off and I you know lost um my competitors and I just uh, kept on running I knew I could kick it up a, a notch if I had to uh if someone came up to challenge but no one did and I just loved running cross country. So it was, it was a fun meet for me to, uh, to have that. Now I would always get super nervous before a race. So I was never a confident runner, but you know, at three and a half miles, uh, I mean, I knew, um, that I was going to, I was going to win. The team finishes 10th that day. You know, you mentioned earlier that it was game on. Were you guys satisfied with a 10th place result? As I remember, no, we weren't. Uh, we, we thought we could do better than that. Maybe even top three, as I recall, because we had some really good runners and we were psyched about, this is the first time we had gone to any cross country championship. D2, well, as a team, as a team. So this is our first team championship. And yeah, we... Um, I think we wanted to do better than 10th. So this is kind of where your story starts to get really interesting. You have that cross-country national championship that had to be really significant to you as a self-described cross-country runner, but kind of walk us through the process of being made aware that you could now 
have that invitation to participate in the division one championship, kind of what that meant and also the logistics of getting you to that star line. Well, well, as I recall, um, uh, we competed at, uh, at the IC4A in Van Cortland Park before the D1 championship. And Coach Hale asked uh, once, and we tried to figure out the dates. And for some reason that year, D3 was held early a couple of weeks. It conflicted with the New York State uh, championships. So we didn't run. We went to the team uh, uh, championship, um, D3 championship, rather than uh, the, the New York State conference. But we, we also went as a team to the IC4A uh, meet, and that was probably my best meet. And I am not sure, my best race for sure, I am not sure when it, the decision was made um, by Coach Hale to get me into D1, whether it was after the D3 because I didn't qualify, or whether it was after IC4A, and, and I, I had my best race ever. Uh, and that prompted uh, the overall, oh, uh, roundabout way we got to the D1 Nationals, uh, but it occurred after the IC4A. For those not familiar with the IC4A, can you describe what that meet is? Sure, so it's a basically, oh, it's a high quality meet, basically of Northeast, uh us uh teams from ohio from pennsylvania from uh you know down to may, maybe florida um so but it was a northeast region uh, not regional yeah basically a northeast i guess regional us uh meet and there were two divisions a university and a college and hundreds of runners and just a high quality meet and what I remember, um, it, it was on Van Cortland Park, uh, and Van Cortland Park has had cross country meets since you know the turn of the century, 1900s. You know, it, decades uh, um, of uh, meets have been held at Van Cortland Park, and it's famous for Cemetery Hill. So it's pretty flat, goes through some forest, and then there's a steep hill, and that was always the you know who was going to win was who was going to handle Cemetery Hill. It probably, uh, quality-wise, was as good as D2, D3. Uh, and they just had some superb All-America runners. It was just a, a quality meet. Um, so uh, that's what the IC4A, the IC4A has been run for, you know, again, many decades. Um, Maybe not known by the Midwest or Westerners, but it's well known in the East. And, and it's always, a, a, I think that was a highlight. I think we ran it uh, two years or at least my senior year. And that was a great meet. Well, you are talking to a couple of Midwesterners, so that would probably explain our ignorance. Yeah, no problem. Well, I was trying to help our audience out, Noah. Not, yeah, oh, yeah. Know, it's the, it's the audience. About. It's the audience that doesn't know. We're, yeah, we know. We know. So we're just. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but so, uh, again, that was my best race uh, that I'd ever run. And uh, it was really the uh, only time in, um, for these championships where, you know, I had to decide or there was a make or break point, And that was at the bottom of Cemetery Hill with two runners running with me. And I just I just decided to sprint up Cemetery Hill. And it took the second kind of uh, incline to to lose the two runners who were with me. But that was certainly a make or break uh, moment for me. <clears throat> and uh, I flew down uh, the other side of Cemetery Hill and uh, lost uh, my uh, competitors. And the reason I remember this is, is I, um, I came like a second, two seconds off the course record or college division course record, which again had been run for, for many, many years. So it was a very good time. And it was, it, it was certainly my most satisfying um, uh, uh, race. So whether that uh, helped prompt uh, the move to uh, get me to D1, um, because that was really a, a quality race, uh, or whether 
I don't recall hearing a, a, about going to D1 after D3, but uh, that could be wrong. Yeah, so you're coming off of two big wins. How are you feeling going into D1? I mean, there's not that much time in between. You race D3, you race IC4As, and then it's Division One. Yeah, no, there wasn't. Uh, there wasn't. Or no, again, it wasn't. Uh, things were unfolding, and uh, I didn't have any big plans other than I, I just knew I could compete uh, with anyone at that point. The D1... I was not intimidated by going to the D1 meet. Do you think you should have been intimidated? I mean, you got Arkansas and Oregon and, and all these all these uniforms that you hadn't seen in competition before. What does it say about you that you weren't intimidated? I was in pretty good shape. And, you know, I, um, and I knew I was. And the, the IC4A really demonstrated that because the time I ran also, this was not just a, a personal win, but the, the, the course record just missing it um, for the college division. And I would have, I don't know, came in, you know, second or third in the, in the D1 um, IC4A. So that showing, I think, uh, made me um, absolutely uh, con not confident. I was never a confident runner, but it, it, I think I went into the expectation of, of wanting to really, um, show well. Did you know that you just needed to be an all American to then kind of sweep D1, D2, D3, all American awards? No, that never entered the conversation. When did you like kind of realize that you were an all American in all three divisions? I think Coach Hale, uh, you know, said after the result, and uh, again, it was a little bit of an anomaly why Rochester was switching, uh, but uh, you know, he did. He he made a point of it. He thought it was cool, and I think a, a, um, a what a recruiting tool uh, that you know we could uh, compete in in uh, all levels. I didn't really have much to do with it in terms of being in the three divisions uh, and making all America. So that was, I, I just, I never was, you know, that overwhelmed with, with that uh, idea. And then when they stopped uh, athletes from competing in uh, the three divisions, then, you know, it, uh, it just lost a little bit of its uh, significance. You alluded earlier to some lasting memories from that D1 championship race. Um, what stuck with you? Yeah, well, you know, so I found out later, but the way I got to the D1 meeting uh, race, uh, which was in central Illinois, I think, um, or maybe south of Chicago, and Coach Hale uh, got in his van and drove me there from Rochester. And it was uh, when I saw the movie Field of Dreams, you know, and Kevin Cosner is in his van uh, driving James Earl Jones, you know, to Field of Dreams. Well, that must have been what it was like. Uh, we're just going on the road uh, to, to Illinois to run D1. And he had invited a, a, a high schooler who was a very good runner who lived next to him, a, a neighbor, and he was trying to recruit him. So I think, as I recall, his name was Jerry. So Jerry came along with us in the van and we're tooling along the turnpike and <clears throat> the D1 race. And then what I remember about the D1 race is they stuck the D2, D3 uh, qualifiers. They, they stuck us in a ditch at the very end of the starting line, you know, and then there's a bottleneck a half a mile up. And what I remember the race is starting in this ditch and then you know half mile up there's just this bottleneck and we're all standing still you know the leaders are are ahead and we're standing you know waiting to get through this bottleneck and i lost a terrific amount of time i think you know i always thought 25 30 seconds just getting through that my bad not knowing the course uh, and not you know paying attention to that but you had 200 runners trying to get through, you know, uh, 15 yard area all at once it didn't work well. 
And so I just spent the race picking off uh, runner one by one uh, until I, I uh, ran out of real estate, <clears throat> essentially. And it always left a little bad taste in my mouth because even though um, I came in 19th, I, I always thought as a runner, um, if I had handled the start differently, I could have done significantly better in terms of, uh, in terms of showing. Were you counting how many people were you passing? Like, did you know when you finished that you were 19th? Like, how did you realize you're an All-American or when I should say? Well, I didn't know what qualified for an All-American, quite honestly, that, that I recall. And I, I wasn't focused. I was just, you know, trying to pick up uh, as many spots as I could. And maybe Coach Hale was yelling at me, to, you know, I was in, you know, 25th spot or whatever. But the um, qualifying for a D1 All-America spot, I don't recall having any thoughts or uh, about that at all. I just wanted to really run a good race uh, and, and beat a lot of other D1 runners. So leaving there, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had one more meet to go that season before you rested, and that was the AAU cross-country championship? Yes. How, how close in proximity was that to the Division I championship? Well, you know, I... I didn't remember, so I had to go back and look at the dates, and that was about five days later. Um, maybe it was four days, and you know, we had to drive back from D1 Championship, wee hours of the morning, and I don't really recall, but the dates of the meet say that was, you know, I think it was four days later or five days later, um, and although. I found out later coach was a little bit um, miffed that the athletic department didn't fly us out to Chicago or to uh, the D1 championship. He did manage to find uh, a way to fund me to go out to run the, you know, the national AAU meet, which uh, as your viewers know, is not just collegiate, it's all comers. You had all the professional amateurs um, and Olympic runners uh, from North America. So this was a, a step up um, for from even D1 competition, as good as it uh, as it as it was. How is your body feeling at this point? I mean, you've run three really high level meets in like essentially three weeks, and now you're heading into the the steepest competition of them. I mean, have you even been to school in this in this month of racing? <laughs> uh, not about a lot, but like I said, I was, uh, you know, it, it was an exciting time, and I wasn't overthinking anything here. It was just an exciting time. Uh, <clears throat> I remember getting to the race. Um, uh, headquarters in you know some big uh, San Francisco hotel and seeing a lot of uh, Olympic runners that I recognized by sight and so it, it was that was exciting D1 wasn't exciting this was definitely off the scale <clears throat> so I, I think I was so excited that you know it I wasn't thinking I'm tired uh, I'm thinking oh this is I better run my best or I'm going to be embarrassed is what I probably was thinking. Yeah. And you ran majority of that race with Frank Shorter. You finished 22nd overall. Frank finished 11th. What was that like being able to compete with Frank Shorter and run with him too? Right. So Frank Shorter, you know, gold, silver, Olympic uh, marathon medalist. Uh, I mean, you know, and one of the premier 10,000 meter runners uh, at that era. Uh, he was, <clears throat> he was just elite and well, a couple of things. I mean, I knew I was not nearly as good running around an oval as I was in cross country. I, I loved cross country and I, I thought I was pretty good and, you know, hills and, <clears throat> and, uh, some tough uh, ground conditions, you know, I, I was pretty, uh, uh, comfortable with, with that, but I really, again, wasn't thinking, but this time I got a good start and I ran for probably, you know, four and a half, five miles with a group. I just found myself in a group and there was Frank Shorter and three or four other people. And we were like in 10th place. 
so you could see the 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 leaders up 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 front and i just decided i was going to hang as long as i could which i did for about five miles and then uh, yeah i ran out of gas uh Quite honestly, I stumbled, took 100 yards to kind of recover, get back on some pace, but did manage to maybe control the damage uh, and finish 22nd, which, um, yeah, I, I mean, that's what I could have run. Uh, and I, I guess in retrospect, I, I didn't, wasn't thinking it, this at the time, but yeah, I was probably pretty tired. And I was used to running five mile races, not 10,000 meters. And I'm not sure if the combination, but um, I, I did run a, a good race uh, and it, it was very exciting to, to compete at, at the level. The top 20 were, you know, essentially all Olympic runners or championship runners. They're, uh, you know, in, in college universities at that time, uh, cross country was an easy way to win a championship by recruiting uh, championship runners from you know Europe and, and certainly Africa as well. So uh, a university uh, would would give scholarships to Olympic runners, uh, and they would compete at D1 uh, level. And you know you only need three or four really good runners to to win a cross country championship. So there were a lot of a lot of uh, high quality runners in that uh, top, uh, you know, the, the, the top 20. So I, it did, I, for the first time, I, I thought I could, I could compete at the highest level. Yeah, I mean, taking that a little further, I mean, that performance at AAU wraps up a pretty incredible four meet stretch, arguably the best, you know, cross country post, cross country postseason that any division three athlete has ever had. What, like, how far was your imagination going after that meet, just projecting into the future what you might be able to do down the road? Well, it certainly um, had me thinking that um, to be an Olympian, to train for the Olympic trials and to compete. I had uh, run with uh, Dick Berkeley uh, a few times. Uh, Coach Hale had set up some training runs for me with Dick Berkeley, who, as you know, was uh, at one time the indoor mile world record holder and he was running at rochester uh he, he lived in rochester at the time so i did uh have some experience with the training with uh, you know a, a an elite uh runner and we had some interesting training runs but i think after the aau meet yeah i had my sights on uh on running in the uh, olympics um i thought 5,000 might be tough. Dick Berkeley, who set the world indoor mile record, moved up to the 5,000 meters because, uh, again, uh, the kicking is so important in the Olympic format. And I thought I'd have to move up to, you know, 10,000 meter race or, or even a marathon. Uh, but I certainly had those plans uh, after, you know, that cross country season. Um, and in fact, I was planning to, again, take the, the year off uh, and, and just train for the Olympic, uh, the Olympic trials. Yeah, what did that training look like for you? Were you able to you know, continue on running after your time at Rochester? Well, I, you know, a few weeks after um, my run, uh, cross-country uh, season, uh, Dave Milliman, who then was a, uh, a, one of the senior people that took me under his wing when I was a freshman. And he was a really good runner, big guy, a linebacker type, uh, but he still was a really good runner. And he had moved down to Florida to uh, manage uh, an athletic shoe store and also to run for the Florida track club and to train down there in Gainesville. So after the cross country season, I spent a couple of weeks uh, cramming uh, because the classes really just weren't, I was a little behind, let's say. Uh, and so I had to spend a couple of weeks just cramming and uh, obviously my training went south uh, a good deal. Uh, Dave Milliman invited me down to join him in, in Florida to train with the Florida Track Club. And he lived in a mobile home next to a state park with wonderful trails. 
And I got down there and I just went wild with training. I mean, I was running over 20 miles a day, high intensity interval training, and I got injured. The last day I was there, injured my hamstring, didn't know how serious it was, and essentially never was able to come back from that. So that um, I tried one mile. Um, um, coach wanted to get me into the uh, Junior Olympics. And after taking uh, two or three weeks off because of the running injury, I tried to run through, but I couldn't. At the Syracuse Invitational, I went down distance to run a mile because neither of us thought I was in shape to run a 5,000 meter. And I wanted to qualify for the Junior Olympics. So I tried running the mile, but didn't qualify. It didn't run a qualifying time. And that was basically the last time I uh, competed. What were those emotions like of kind of recognizing that you know, maybe it was time to move on from your competitive running dreams. I mean, you were still so young and still obviously had so much potential just derailed by this injury. Was it an easy decision to kind of put running on the back burner or did you struggle with that? Oh, I never put it on the back burner. I yeah. mean, I spent, you know, 10 years trying to get back the, the kind of running fitness that I, I had in college. So I, again, this, this is just you know, unfolding and without knowledge of uh, what was going to happen. No, I kept trying to um, get back uh, the kind of shape I had. Uh, but I, you know, as soon as the, in the training got intense, you know, at the level I, I had done, I'd just get another injury, some overuse injury, and it would set me back. And so uh, I tried to incorporate, you know, training, um, uh, after it became clear I wasn't going to be able to, you know, uh, train for the Olympic trials, I went to medical school, and that took enough time, but I always still tried to find some time to run, and hopefully uh, my mindset was to get back to a running fitness that I could compete at, at the level I did in college. So I was never gave up on it. Was it that success you had in that kind of four meet stretch your senior year that really kept you going through all those years of injuries? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I was in great shape and although I was never a confident runner, I mean, I just knew I could run with, uh, you know, the, the highest level of athletes may not win, but, uh, you know, being out kicked or something, but I, I knew I was in good enough shape to, um, to run at a very high level. And absolutely, that kept me um, chasing the, the dream of, uh, of getting back to that, getting back to that fitness. You know, you may not have gotten back to that fitness, but what did your relationship with running look like throughout this journey and then past like later in your life? Yeah. So I, I've run my, you know, whole life um, essentially. And for the first 10 years, I tried to fit in and get back to, um, to a high level. Couldn't really do it. There are a couple of periods when I was busy enough with work that um, the training slowed down and allowed me to kind of recover and to do the recovery a little bit more slowly. So I ran a, a few road races, a couple of marathons um, over the years. And the mileage would go down with age every decade. Even now I, I do a little treadmill jogging, but um, so I've always loved to run. So it, even though I may have missed out on a competitive uh, running career, um, running has always been a, a part of my exercise and uh, my activity. Would you do anything differently? Like looking back on that post-college time where you struggled with injuries? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, there was, there was no real uh, sports medicine uh, at, at the amateur level. Remember, this is amateur. I mean, I'm in college. I, I'm not a professional, you know, sport uh, person, football player or whatever. So there's really weren't any kind of uh, facilities or uh, mechanisms to get high quality uh, rehab, which would have been the most important thing. And, you know, eventually six months after, uh, or right after I graduated, I had surgery um, and there was no rehab after that. So I think a, a couple of things in retrospect, 
uh, running through it doesn't work and uh, you, you just can't do it. So I think backing off, you know, the trick is to do intense workout, uh, uh, workouts up to the point, but not get injured. If you get injured, you know, you're not helping anybody. And so preventing injuries is, is really important, whether, you know, I was so stupid by going from being arrested high quality uh, runner who, who had to rest to, you know, pass uh, the classes uh, and then go down from a Rochester environment to a Florida environment. I mean, that was just a, a wonderful kind of change for me. And I did not uh, reel in the, um, the, the level uh, of training that um, I should have, which uh, may have prevented me from getting a, a, a serious injury. So very important. And I think the attitude is completely changed nowadays. I mean, you look at the Baltimore Ravens, I'm a big Ravens fan, and they went from a playoff team to, you know, a below 500 team because they had massive amounts of injuries. So the, the attitude to preventing injuries uh, now, I think, um, you know, is key. And also, I have to believe, but you, you guys should tell me how training methods have changed to uh, allow better performance, but uh, reduce uh, the injury. So I would ask you guys what what's being done now versus uh, nothing was being done uh, in, in my era. I don't think I ever ran 20 miles in a day in college. So I'll, I'll, that's one thing. <laughs> yeah, I hardly ever do that. I hardly ever do that now. I mean, the, I think that philosophy of running as hard and as long as you can was, it's kind of like with that on it is that old school philosophy where now it's really it can just kind of boil down to easy days easy hard days hard you know where in any given week you have an interval session a tempo session and a long run session but all the other days are the only objective is recovery and i think that's how most people train now yeah i i i I can see that. And I guess I've learned over the years that that's how it's done now, but uh, that's not the attitude I had in college. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we didn't work as hard as you, I don't think. That's maybe why we didn't have, I didn't have the success that you had. Well, I don't, you know, it wasn't an, it wasn't an effort. I, I didn't learn anything from it. I, I love to run. Uh, and I, I kind of, with Coach Hale's, uh, you know, guidance, uh, found out you know, running twice a day was really important. And again, it has to do with recovery um, because you do your afternoon workout uh, and you're still not really recovered from the morning run, even though it wasn't, you know, as high an intensity. But I think that's, that's certainly allowed me to gain a level of fitness that, um, um, that I wouldn't have had wise. It ended up being... Uh, not so good in, in, in the injury aspect. Um, but that's the way it was done. I remember Dick Berkeley. I mean, he would, he was such a bull. He would train. Um, uh, and we, we, uh, uh, in that fall, we had a few training runs and I could hang with him, but we would absolutely go crazy running, uh, you know, 10 miles, uh, cross country, and it, it, there was no back off. Honestly, I think there's like a certain amount of nostalgia for that style of training. I mean, given this is nostalgia from, from people who never trained that way, but like they, they imagine that life, lifestyle of going like hard and long every day as just kind of the uh, like definition of, of toughness. And so it has had kind of an enduring um, influence on distance running, even if the day-to-day -day training is kind of different. Yeah, I think so. Um... I, I, you know, I think you're, you're, you're right on that. Um, we would, um, the only times we would really back off is, uh, you know, before uh, uh, an important meet or and particularly a, a championship race where we would slow down in, in terms of mileage and, and allow recovery for, for peak performance. But for the rest of the, you know, the weeks, it was, um, it, it, it was, we did, you know, intervals one day and distance running another day, but at least, uh, well, nobody told me I should have recovery days. And I didn't think 
that was a way to get good. So, uh, you know, there may have been a few days early in, in my career, but, but um, uh, again, I don't think the, that was, um, that philosophy was, or, or the philosophy of, as you said, training hard every day uh, was, was in vogue back then. As we begin to wrap up here, one thing that I'm curious about that maybe you can offer advice to present day D3 athletes or just runners in general, you mentioned that you weren't very confident racer, but yet you had a lot of success. How did you overcome maybe the lack of confidence that you have to then turn in the performances that you had? Yeah, I mean, I, over the years, you know, you, 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 read, you read and hear athletes say, well, you, you know, I confidence is so important. And I can see that in a skill sport, whether it's gymnastics or tennis or skiing, you know, but I never ran as a confident uh, uh, runner in the big races. Uh, and in the big races, I just had an attitude that I had to give my all, run my best, or I'd be embarrassed because there was a lot of good, good runners. So I would get psyched and, and I, you know, wanted to win, but I was not confident of, of that. I don't think it, it hurt me. It, it, it improved my performance. And again, there's not a, a lot of skill involved. There's training. Um, so I, I think confidence is overrated um, for, at least for cross country, track and field. David, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been really cool to hear the behind the scenes of the best cross country season ever. And we really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for your interest. And, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've enjoyed this and uh, I'll pay attention to D3 a little bit more uh, nowadays. All right, that does it for another episode of D3 Glory Days on the Studious Mag Podcast Network. Thanks again to Dr. Dave Muller for his time today. It was a great episode and hope this gets you fired up for the cross country season. As mentioned, we will be transitioning to cross country season coverage. So make sure you're following us on social media at D3 Glory Days, Instagram and Twitter. If you want to help contribute to the website, fill out the form on the site itself. We'll be happy to hear from you. And please tell a friend. We have some great stuff planned. Until then, here's to the Glory Days. Thank you.